Hello and welcome to part two of episode nine of the Cleontel podcast with me, Robin Allender. In this instalment, I'll be speaking to multi-instrumentalist Mel Dracy. Mel joined the Cleontel in the late noughties and was a fixture of their live shows throughout that period. She also performed on God Save the Cleontel and Bonfires on the Heath. And I think her presence, singing, playing violin and piano, adds so much to those albums. She's a fantastic musician and she's really funny and engaging company, so I hope you enjoy my chat with her. And I started our conversation by asking Mel about where she grew up and how she first got into music. One small note, please excuse my ignorance regarding the side projects of Kevin Shields. I was born in Guernsey, which is a bit bizarre. And then we moved to um, Woking, home of Paul Weller. And (laughs) (laughs) that's where I grew up. (laughs) And um, my family is, everyone plays music in my family. Um, And so I grew up in a very musical family and it was all around me. And I, I started playing music when I was five. Yeah. Wow. And that was violin and piano, all the classical stuff. Yeah, piano, I think I started piano and then I think having that bass made it very easy to pick up other things more quickly, um, which violin was one of those. Right. And was it always classical or were you listening to pop and rock and stuff at the same time? Do you know, when I was, it was 40, no, not 40 years ago, it was 35 years ago. And when I was playing, it was... I don't think anyone I knew played violin or piano that did anything but classical. That was all that everybody did. And, you know, you did that and then you went and you were in an orchestra and that was the route that you went. And I loved it for the performance side of it and doing like young um, music festivals and things like that. Mm. But the thing that I struggled with was always having to play what was written. And I do remember them saying, yeah, she's very musical, but she's not playing what's written. She's got to play what's on the music all the time. Um, (laughs) So you're always improvising. Yeah. Or just, you know, yeah. Doing my own thing a bit. And it, it, I managed to get through my grade eights on both classically. And then I think because I didn't see another way of doing music, I got to university and, I was like, there's no way I'm doing music. I'm going to, you know, do music, uh, do English, have fun. I didn't want to study music because I just thought it's just going to be the same of what I've been do- as what I've been doing. And then, yeah, didn't do anything for three years until I got left university and went back to London. And then, uh, yeah. And then, so you're saying you found an ad for a punk band and turned up with your violin <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So it took a, a university breakup to um, need something else in my life. So I was like, what can I do to sort of find something fun to do? And and yeah, it was a, a punk band of posh boys in South London, which... Always the way. I was in always <laughs> North London. Uh, so for me, it was a, a really another world. Um, and I didn't know how to improvise. And I just turned up and I really didn't understand the music at all. I'd never really heard punk music. I think I grew up with my my family played a lot of Beatles and stuff like that, but it was all very melodic, very nice music and punk. It was just a real stretch, and I enjoyed that. That's like, good. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do many gigs with with them, or were you? Not with them because they were actually very they they were great because they sort of helped me to find myself a little bit. But 
they weren't really gigging. I think it was more sort of an escape from the finance jobs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but through that, it, it, it then gave me the confidence to go. And I just, I started to meet people and I started to play with a band called um, Le Volume Corp. Mm. Um, and through them, I, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a muddly story, but I basically was playing a gig with Le Volume Corp and um, Brian O'Shaughnessy was mm. there. Yeah, and um, he came up to me and said, "Oh, hello," talking to me, and I, I, I said hello, and I remember saying to him, "Oh, you know, I've just never found a band that I really want to add to in the way that will fulfil me." And he started telling me about the clientele, and he was, "Oh, you should listen to the clientele. There, you know, it sounds like you'd really like them." And I think it. It was actually in the days of MySpace. Right. So I went I went home after my gig at, I think it was Bloomsbury Bowling Lanes. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know that venue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, looked look them up on MySpace and listened to, I think it was Losing Haringey he told me to listen to. And I thought, wow, this is so, this is great. I love this. Like, I could really see myself being a part of this. Like, I feel like I could do something that could make it even better, <laughs> maybe. And so I just sent them an, an email on MySpace and said, hey, um, if you ever need any violin or keys, strings or keys, let me know. I live in, like, North London. And then I was really surprised to get a message back, I think, I don't know, maybe the next day, saying, why don't you come down to the studio the way we practice in Hanbury Street and just we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And <laughs> it was bizarre. <laughs> I just really? I just I just turned up and I didn't know any of the songs at all we just I just sort of improvised with them and it, I think they told me what to do in a couple of songs to try things out see if I could play what they'd previously recorded and stuff and yeah it was it was amazing and then we went to a local pub and they said well how do you feel about coming on tour for three months <laughs> <laughs> I was like uh let me just check my diary <laughs> I have to let my work know. <laughs> but that, that is actually what happened. <laughs> I asked Mel about the making of the God Save the Cleontel album, which was recorded in Nashville at the end of her first tour with the band. Well, I was very new to the band, so I, I went on tour and I think they'd already they had all those songs ready already yeah and they had some people from the states that were going to play on them and and things like that um i think that i might be wrong james might or Al might have to correct me but i think that's what happened and then I, when we went to record in nashville i did some of the songs and there were some other musicians involved as well like pat and yeah well that's a great album yeah i, I love that album because it's it's almost a bit unusual for it's, it sticks out in a funny way from the other clientele albums, I think. Yeah, it does seem like a, a sort of, not a turning point, but a, a sort of a moment yeah. of something a little bit different. That's an ex- extraordinary kind of stroke of luck. And well, you know, thank God for MySpace. I mean, it really was the best social <laughs> yeah. media, wasn't it? But So it's yeah. just from a simple MySpace message, you ended up going on a three-month tour and recording an album in Nashville. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah, it was great. And a massive like learning curve for me because to go and do something like that when, I mean, I've been playing gigs, but I, I 
did not know the first thing about how to create my sound on stage or manage manage a monitor man and you know and to be honest when we went on tour I didn't really know any of the songs I think I knew one or two songs so I wandered around a lot a lot of the time just trying to work out what key it was in and I would be like G sus minor or something but <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks that's a great key for a violinist <laughs> so you were just uh you were improvising more or less each night then were you or I mean they had a lot of songs yeah and yeah. um well, by the end of the tour, I'd like to think I wasn't improvising every night, but <laughs> I definitely was for the first few weeks. And I mean, they would, you know, bring out songs that I'd never heard before, but it all happened so quickly. And I think I was quite young as well. It's, it was quite a long time ago. I think maybe if I did that now, probably put a little bit more um, research in before the trip. <laughs> well, there's something to be said for the being young and just going into it head first. I think. And being massively vulnerable in front of loads of people. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's, that's tricky. Was it just violin you were playing at that stage, on, on stage? Um, no, it was violin and keyboard. So it was like organ and piano and percussion. Yeah. Um, and then backing vocals. Yeah. As well. That that was the thing, actually, doing the backing vocals. They really encouraged me to do that. And I was really shy to sing because I just remember being at school and Unless you had a sort of an opera voice, you weren't really classed as a singer at school. So a lot of people just didn't really. I sang in the choir, but it was never like anything projecting anything because you didn't feel like you were a real singer. Um, so they really encouraged me to do that, and it was it was really fun. I really enjoyed singing. <laughs> and what do you remember about the recording of that album? You said all the songs were already there, so you were just embellishing them in some ways. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it was an intense experience. I'm pretty sure it was with Marky Nevers, wasn't it, in Nashville? I hope I've got it right. Guy from Lamb Chop, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, that's it. Yeah, it was. It was, It was. I think it was at the end of a tour, so it was quite, a, you know, we were all very tired. Yeah. And then we stayed there for three weeks. And um, I think we were staying in like a Motel 6 or something. <laughs> it was very bizarre. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, it was a very different experience for me. I'd never really done anything like that. And the guys had, obviously. I was saying this to James about when we were talking about this album. There's, there's some beautiful songs on it. And it's got quite it's got a very placid feel at times, but there's a slight sense that things were fraying at the edges a little bit. <laughs> Maybe people were losing their minds a little bit somewhere along the way. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm, I actually met up with James now last week and I was saying to them you know how being in a band with James Alan Mark has really prepared me for motherhood because <laughs> <laughs> really? I have three children now and I definitely wow. felt I was I was very much the youngest in the group but and they had to manage me a lot but but how old how old were you for, for context then how old were you in that so I, I mean I'm 40 now and I think I'm I think I met them when I was 21 mm-hmm. so I was a baby yeah um and they'd been friends for a long time and it was it's very intense like being on tour and um being in a van all day every day with each other <laughs> so did you call your children al mark and james or oh my gosh if only <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah. I, I might do i don't yeah. know which one the naughty one would be uh, right <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Amazing. But some of these, yeah, like you say, feeling very vulnerable. I mean, they do, they play pretty big venues in America, don't they? So some of these gigs yeah. must have been quite big. Yeah. It's weird, though. I find that actually, like, the bigger the venue, the less vulnerable I feel because you can't see anyone. And you're, the stage is so big that you are just, you know, the band on the stage and it's quite hard to connect with the people. I find it more daunting if I was playing, like, in a church, right, with everyone breathing in every single movement and sound that I made. There's nothing worse than playing to two or three people, you know, trust me, you know. I should... <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, yeah, wow. Well, I've, I've been doing um, music in um, hospitals, right. like as a job. Uh, I And that is really quite intense because you are basically sitting on somebody's bed in a hospital and it, I feel a lot more vulnerable doing that than I would on a massive stage sounds strange no of course i understand so, so is that a therapeutic thing you're playing violin yeah yeah amazing yeah so it's, it's like music therapy but it's more of an offering of music to the patients so we work in like a a pair um and a lot of improvisation and sort of assessing the space and there might be like loads of different people in the same space so you'd have to cater for everybody so it's not just going in and like bang out the hits yeah. or something. It's kind of very, you have to be very um, aware and start gently and see where it goes kind of thing. What was the band you were playing in before? Like, what style of music was that? Oh, I don't. Um, I would say folk, folky punk. Right. So Kevin Shields um, was part of it as well. Would would. Oh right. Um, it was his his girlfriend Charlotte, and he sort of played on some of the stuff and produced some of it as well. Wow, how did you get to meet Kevin Shields? How did that come about with Kevin Shields? I think it was an ex-boyfriend's older brother <laughs> and they um, they knew um, Charlotte from the Volume Corp, who was the singer, and through them they all were just in this big scene together and we just, yeah, it was a, a scene really, I think. Mm. I didn't know Kevin Shields did other bands. Well, I think it was he, she was his girlfriend. Right, right. So um, he just played, I think he played a bit of guitar on a few, but he sort of produced the couple of her, her records, I think. Right, nice. So um, were, were you, like, working at the time? How did you manage to take three months and just head off to the States? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was working. I <laughs> I was working in an advertising agency, and they're, because they're a creative industry, they're yeah. very keen to have people there that have other things going on which make them in- more interesting to them and bring something else into the agency. So I was just really lucky. I had two bosses who were really cool and they were just like, absolutely go do it, then come back. And then so I did multiple tours. It was um, a great agency called Widening Kennedy and they were they were just – they have a lot of people that work there that are musicians and producers and DJs and things like that. So, yeah, they were very, like, up for it. 
Wow, sounds good. I'll give them. I'll give them a bell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really. They've got an office in Portland. Like right. loads of people I know live like live there now, and are musicians as well. And mm. yeah, oh, super. So, when you came to work on Bonfires on the Heath, was that a slightly more structured way of recording? Did you have more input in the songs off on that album? Uh, uh, yeah, d- definitely. I think with um, gotta say the clientele like half of it was already sorted so uh, what the thing the songs that i'm on were the ones that were there and with bonfires on the heath it was a very different experience it was really uh, yeah magical for me to be able to find like arranging my own stuff everything in my head just getting it down because i didn't know how to do that and I just basically everything that was there, I've just recorded, recorded, recorded it. And James really helped me actually. I don't know if you've spoken to him about it, but we he very much encouraged me and helped me to be able to have the discipline to sit down and um, record. Well, he was pressing record and I was playing. <laughs> so because I I would come up with stuff and then I couldn't remember it because despite having the discipline to you know learn scales and all that kind of stuff, I couldn't like write it down because I'd just be have to be in the musical head not the writing down kind of thing so is this string arrangements or piano or just every, everything both yeah 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 everything I think I, I think my brain works in a way that it comes out as like a whole arrangement which could work on piano or other instruments or strings or vocals so yeah I think the thing that's really notable about bonfires on the heath is the piano gives it such a a different atmosphere to the previous albums. I think there's a real haunted quality to it. I, I mm. just think it's a very particular sound. And also your vocals on that album are just beautiful as well, I think. Oh, that was definitely the first time I really felt like I was finding my voice. That was, you know, them helping me with that and learning how to use a microphone. And yeah. It's great. Thanks, Tom, from MySpace, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could remember my login. I'd probably go and have a look at those messages. I'm sure I could find it. Does it even exist anymore? Is it still I think there? It's, I think it's still there, like the Space Jam website. It's still up there, but I don't think anyone does anything with it anymore. But, I might uh, try and see. <laughs> Did you play on the that 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 EP that Night of Forest Grew as well? Oh yeah, that's yeah, a brilliant yeah. EP. Yeah. There's some brilliant songs on there. Yeah, that was. I feel like we'd done quite a few like Spanish trips at that point, and it quite feels quite quite felt quite a Spanishy uh, feel to me. Just uh, there was Retiro Park, and yeah, I definitely learned to. Um, play piano very fast on one of those songs, I think. Yeah. I just remember going, dip, 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 trying to keep it in time. <laughs> there's, a, there's a great song called George Says He's Lost His Way in the in This World. It's beautiful. Yeah. One of the best titles as well. Yeah. That's <laughs> just so good. George says he has lost his way in this world. He's lost his way in this world. 
And so what happened after Bonfires on the Heath? You did more tours with them? I'm pretty sure there was, yeah, more tours. I think, did we do Jimmy Fallon? I think Jimmy Fallon happened. That was fun Um, with that album. Yeah. More tours, more gigs. Um, uh, We did a lot of radio shows, which I always really enjoyed doing, Mm -hmm. which I think some people really hate doing because you are really vulnerable, but it... I quite enjoyed it because you're getting rid of all the equipment and the worry that somebody else is going to mess up your sounds. Because the biggest problem I always had with any band that plays louder than, I don't know, uh, I don't know, just any any kind of loudness at any point, is being able to hear yourself. Because for a vi- piano, it's fine because it always cuts through. But with strings, it's, it is really hard. And having an amp and then the amp would feed back and just working out how that works. So radio stations, I was just like, this is so easy. So great. Oh, I don't have to use anything. I just literally just sit here with the piano. You've got a grand piano. Great. Perfect. I can hear myself. So yeah, we did a lot of those, which were really fun. Yeah. That's a good point though. I mean, as soon as the drummer's involved, it's all about trying to balance yourself with the drummer. But you're lucky to have had Mark because he's a very, he's quite a delicate player. Yeah. And also when you play live as well, I saw them play at Rough Trade the other week. It's so, so dynamically played, mm. you know, it's really soft and it's such a, it's, it's so refreshing when you just see bands playing so loud so often, you know, <laughs> that it's, yeah. it's really good to see it. Yeah. 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 I really enjoyed that um, about playing with them and, there were definitely moments, I think maybe one one time in Charleston where more gin had been had than maybe was needed to be had. It was such a loud gig. It really? was like <laughs> so loud. <laughs> and you definitely couldn't hear what you were doing. But it was there there were moments like that on tour. That's what I really enjoyed about being on tour is you would often do the same set, but it could go completely differently depending on, you know, how everybody was feeling the day. And or the people watching, to be honest. And sometimes it would just go, we'd end up doing some kind of massive television style <laughs> increase in volume, like and and just it was really fun. What happened after Bonfires on the Heath? Because those, those, the Minotaur album as well, the Minotaur mini album. Oh yeah, great. that one. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? I actually, I've just today, I cleared out my um, got a big shelf with just loads and loads of albums and stuff, and I, I cleared it out and found all these clientele ones, which I must have like stolen from the merch. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I better take those with me so I can just remember which ones I did. So I've actually got them here. Oh nice. So, yeah, my Minotaur. I've yeah. There we go. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Minotaur's a great album. I love I love the Green Man on that. I think it's brilliant. Oh yeah. Mm. And that's I think we started using actually on Bonfires in the Heath, I was doing quite a lot of looping. So I used to do looping in my other band, um, the Volume Corp. And I started using my loop station on Bonfires on the Heath in um Bonfires on the Heath. 
And I think Al got quite into, um, it wasn't a, um, it was like a drone. This, oh, yeah. Uh, box that he used to have. And so we started, as the world rises and falls, we'd have this like drone playing. And I really enjoyed using my um, loop station to, and I started using that in the clientele, which is very different experience to using it in the Volume Corp. Um, where um, I was kind of leading Le Volume Corb in in moments with it, whereas Minotaur, I was very much adding to what was already there. Mm. Graven Wood as well on Bonfires on the Heath, that starts with that nice drone. Oh, yeah, yes. Uh, I think I think they're doing a gig in January, and uh, we talked about maybe maybe doing a couple of songs. So you know, This reminded me of all the songs. I've forgotten about them all. <laughs> they're so <laughs> lovely songs. Yeah, beautiful. Was there a decision to to leave, or did they just go on a break, or was there anything like that? I mean, you you went to the pub with them the other day, so I take it it's all amicable, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, it it's a funny one. I think basically we did so many tours. We I think I did three massive American tours with them, and we did Canada and Australia and all over. And I think it just got to a point where everybody just needed a break, and. We all had different things going on in our lives as well, like relationship problems. And um, I think three of us had gone through divorces and all sorts of things like that. And we just needed a break. It felt like that was the end. So a hiatus, I think it's called. Um, and we just all went off and did our own thing. And I, I and I didn't think, oh, we've broken, the band has broken up. I never felt like I, I'd been, I'd left but um, it just felt like that was the end of that chapter. And then I heard, you know, you know, recently that they've been doing stuff and I've just been really happy. Like, it's been really great to see that they're back together because, you know, they are the, th- the three original McCoys. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've been doing my own stuff as well. So, yeah, it was just, it, it was never like a, and it didn't feel like this is the end and well that thanks very much everyone bye <laughs> and yeah and, and seeing them recently was just really lovely like it's just you know you never know what could happen in the future you know whether we might do something as you know they might help me with my music or you know you never know <laughs> it's amazing that how it must have just clicked then from that first rehearsal incredible chemistry then I was I was blown away but at how musical the music was and how I just I the moment I heard it I was just like I can feel the spaces that I can feel like I know I know what to do like I I didn't even know the songs but I knew I felt like I knew where it was going to go because it felt so natural and musical to me so yeah and I think hopefully they felt the same that I wasn't over you know adding too much or too little and yeah, it did seem to have just work really well. Yeah. Are there any other... I mean, there are, it's, it's hard to think of other bands where that there is that space, I think. I mean, they're, they're very good at allowing moods to develop and within their songs. Like, I was listening yeah. to Bonfires on the Heath today, and that's the, the title song. I just always want it to just last forever, really, because mm. you can just lose yourself in it. It's... Uh, it's so beautiful because it creates an atmosphere, it creates a mood, and it creates a sense of space. And I guess it does give you all that space to, yeah, to add things to, yeah. 
There is one song by a guy called Peter Broderick. Oh, yeah. Which is, um, uh, he put his finger, it's, it's something about fingers. I can't remember the actual song title. And it, I'm not saying it's the same as the clientele, but he has that thing where it sort of just c- continuously goes around and you don't really want it to end and it it slowly builds, but with space around it. Yeah, that's good. I really like, do you know Blake Mills at all? Have you heard any of his no. stuff? He's great, really good, amazing producer as well. But he he did a really good album a few years ago called Mutable Set. And the songs start so slowly and subtly, you almost don't know that they've started, you know. Oh, There's okay. all this so kind like... of space and stuff going around. It's uh, it's good stuff. Cool. So what, what music are you working on at the moment? Um, well, I've been playing with, I call them the hairy men. The hairy men. But yeah, but yeah. they wouldn't, they wouldn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, it's, um, the main man is called Johnny and it's called the Johnny Hoxton invocation. And it's, I don't really know how to describe it, but it's very drone based and, um, heavy and they're, so after my third child, they, one of the guys I used to play with in the volume corp was playing with them and told me about them. And. I just turned up for a gig, not knowing any of the music, and just improvised, and it was really fun. And um, yeah, they're they're great. They're just really laid back guys, and the music is great, the attitude is great, and they don't require me to practice five times a week. <laughs> not that the clientele did, because we never did that. <laughs> Once a week, that was it. Um, so yeah, and and they do lots of gigs. So th- I love doing gigs where I feel vulnerable, right? And I do. When I yeah, I like I like not feeling vulnerable as well, but I just I like stretching myself, and I definitely did that with the clientele when I first started playing. That's that's so interesting. Yeah, so <laughs> being out of your comfort zone, I guess. That's the, yeah, 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 yeah. My I think my dream gig would be to go and like someone put on a film that no one's ever seen or I've never seen before, and to have a musical box of stuff and just have to create a soundtrack in front of everybody on the spot. I'd love to do that. Really? I don't know if that's a thing, but... I'm sure it is. <laughs> what if it... My fear with that, not saying I'm a musician of your calibre, but, like, my fear with that is what if you did something inadvertently funny? <laughs> Would that be okay? You know, you just did something completely, completely wrong for the film. <laughs> I feel like you you could just <laughs> I would enjoy that. Like someone's <laughs> you know, there's a death scene and you've got a trombone going something like that, you know. All I could think of, I'm just imagining Mark on the trombone. I, he doesn't <laughs> play the trombone, but I wish he did. And he loves arranging the brass, and I, that's what I'm imagining him on a trombone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a death scene. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be good. I'd pay to watch that, yeah. I would too, definitely. <laughs> I feel like we rushed past a bit the recording of Bonfires on the Heath because yeah. that's so, so nice the way you described it. Can you talk a bit more about where it was recorded and and the, the process of recording and songwriting? Were you involved in the songwriting at all? 
No, well, I think what happened was Alistair would come with a demo tape of the songs, so the lyrics and the 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 basic song song structure, which I don't think really ever really changed from what he had done. And then um, um, I think we took those away, and he just said, you know, come back with what you've got. And um, I, for me, I I didn't really know how to put that down on paper or how to start that but James really helped me on that journey and I we spent many a night sitting together and him encouraging me that you know right you know write down what you've got you know keep play it again play it again and I and I learned how to to write what was in my head down are you talking about literally notating or just in terms of yeah notating and also um because I think being able to improvise is a great thing and it's 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 really fun but it can make you lazy. So in my, my, my case anyway, so, you know, knowing that I could just turn up and improvise, it's, it's, it's brilliant, but, um, I, I wasn't able to have the discipline to sit down and capture the best bits of the improvisation. And that's kind of what James really helped me with. Right. So you'd record it and then he'd say, well, this bit was really good. Can you? No, I think it was more like we were sitting together and I, I would, I'd be doing it live and, he would say, you should write that down, write that down. And and then we'd write, I'd write it down and then I'd play it again. And then he would just, he, yeah, he was, he was a slap on the wrist for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's always, it seems to be very important to Alistair, that freshness, the spontaneity, obviously the Tom Verlaine influence. And, mm. know, I mean, he does like to... Is it lamplight that when that when that's played live, it really expands out, doesn't it? Oh yeah. yeah, that's one of the ones actually. I think that gets really gets really loud. We I used to love playing that on in stage, especially if we were having some kind of had had a day where maybe we'd been a bit tricky in the van or something, and you just really can let loose on that song. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it was it was really fun. I was always amazed chatting to Mark about how how few. You, you, there was no crew. You're all driving yourselves and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, when I met up with them the other day, they were like, "What? You can drive?" I said, "I've been driving <laughs> since I was 17." They're like, what? Why did we not know this? I was like, "You definitely would not have wanted me to drive at 21 across." I don't think I could have done actually a van, but um, I think uh, yeah, I, I do remember we we had a lovely lady called Heather, who's actually an amazing musician and composer, who did drive us for some of the tours. Um, and a couple, we did have a couple of other people, but I know James. James did some of the driving, and and Mark as well. It's it's quite a pressure, especially since some of those drives were like seven hours. Yeah, Alistair was re- reclining in the back seat with a bunch of grapes being fed to him, kind of. Oh, absolutely no! Yeah. He's probably sticking on his fake nails. <laughs> does he wear fake nails? Oh, absolutely! Does he? Do you not like that? No, no. My friend, <laughs> I've got a friend who does that to play guitar. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw him doing it, I was like, what on earth is he doing? And then sometimes when we really got into lamplight, they'd start flying across the stage. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, wow. (laughs) That's great. It's a look. It is a look. With one hand, fake nails. Yeah. (laughs) Are you writing your own stuff at the moment then? Yeah, so I've I've been through a phase of on and off through covid and before of writing stuff and i've i've written a load of songs and i've got my my little sister involved who's 10 years younger than me 
it's kind of like the clientele, but you know, with me and my my sister and I. Um and um yeah, they're there. They're there. I just I've had a third baby who's now not able to feed herself yet, but <laughs> they're ready and I I, I will find a way of recording them properly and stuff but I've, I've done it all on my own on garage band but it's just a very very different experience doing that than sitting in a studio and somebody pressing all the buttons I really find it hinders my creativity having to work out as you saw me with my headphones earlier <laughs> work out how, how it all works properly because it's the stop and start and I just want to just go and you know bang it all out and put it down and then listen back and then find find what you want from it Hmm. yeah have you had a chance to hear the the new clientele album yes I've, i've listened to it in um many times in the car and um yeah it's beautiful i said i said to the guys when i saw them last week it's just a really stunning record and i i love that they've done loads of the arrangements i could i could hear it for me listening to it i could hear without knowing who'd done which arrangements really? which were mark and, and there's some which james did as well and some which al did and i really felt like i understood that before actually speaking to them and finding out who'd done what yeah yeah it's a brilliant album yeah it's, it is beautiful yeah there's a there's a lovely there's a moment when i um i i, I interviewed alistair and james and i asked james if he ever asks alistair what does this song mean mm. you know what do the lyrics mean here and he said never <laughs> <laughs> so honest <laughs> uh, yeah and alistair said afterwards he emailed me and said you know we've never really spoken about that before. And he said something about men of a certain generation or something, <laughs> which is quite funny. But I just wondered if that was your experience of working with Alistair about, did you ever ask him about certain lyrics or ask him what songs meant? I think there might have been a couple of songs in the, I think Losing Harangay I definitely did because that was when I first joined the band. And I, it really meant a lot to me, that song, because I lived in that area too. And I used to go on the W3, the bus and the W7. And so I did ask him then. But then I think once I got fully engrossed and like part of the music in the band, I never really asked because it it the, it wasn't something that I th- thought about because it was just part of what I was doing. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, and it does. Yeah. I didn't. It's like, I guess it's a bit like if you're a Christian and believe in God, you don't question it kind of thing <laughs> whereas like I had the lyrics there and I was like yep yeah, they're there and that's that's the lyrics I need to concentrate on all the other stuff and that was what I was engrossed in and the lyrics me- are beautiful to me but my I think my brain works different differently Um, yeah, but great. I mean, is there if there's any other thoughts, memories you want to go into, and we could. Uh... Oh, you should definitely ask them next time you do a podcast with them about 
The French Prince on tour. The French Prince? Mm. <laughs> I, I think he's out there at the moment, so you might have to ask them about him. <laughs> wow. How mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> I actually met them in a pub near my house called The Prince the other day, and that really made us chuckle, but you'll have to ask them about it. Okay. <laughs> Should we leave that in as a as a kind of uh, absolutely a clue? Yeah, a threat. <laughs> the French prince sounds good. <laughs> and fave clientele song is it "Losing Harry and Gay"? Oh, oh, that's hard. I mean, to to listen to or to play? Both, let's say. Um, I would say probably to listen to "Losing Harry and Gay" just because that was where it all started for me, and to play. I probably, I hope I know you, or Lamplight. Two very different songs. I love, um, isn't life strange on God Save the Cleontales? Oh, song, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I always remember that that one was, for me, quite hard because they had these, Louis Philippe wrote strings for that. And it was, but it was a string quartet and it was very, accomplished string quartet and I, I actually looking back if I did that now I'd, I'd be able to play it but I really felt quite like ah oh, I don't know how to play this like it's quite a big big song because it was like four strings playing it and I never felt like I really was able to do that song justice live um it's the way it was done on record I don't didn't really feel like that with it, other songs but with that one yeah because it was so beautiful recorded with the strings like that yeah I think it's it sounds so Lennon esque. I think there's something about the melody really mm. reminds me of John Lennon. I think, and Alistair's voice sounds quite vulnerable as well. I think his voice when we were doing that album, we had we were quite frayed around the edges, and I do right. think like there is a certain tone, like it that I, I feel like I know I know that because we were there, but he were it was more vulnerable because we'd been. We've been going to bed very late and everybody was a bit frayed around the edges, which maybe gives it that kind of extra edge. Yeah. There's a there's a hungover quality to some of the songs. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say it. I mean that in the best possible way. I mean I mean <laughs> yeah. in the sense, you know, in that you know the way with Nail and I starts with that yeah. version of White Shade of Pale. You know that vibe. Yeah. 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 There's there's something of that energy in God Save the Clientel, I think. That's what I was calling my solo project with Mel and I. With Mel and I, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Dreams of Leaving as well on God Save the Clientele. It's got incredible string arrangement. Yeah, that, that I think that was another Louis Philippe one. Mm. He's a very interesting character. Yeah, from both the music and football worlds. Yeah. Fascinating guy. He's rare. Yeah. Very rare. Right. In a good way. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he definitely. Yeah, he did the strings for that. That was um, beautiful. Yeah, there are these almost spectre-like strings in that song. I think. Yeah, mm. you can definitely hear the difference between "Dreams of Living" and "These Days Nothing But sun- Sunshine," and you know, the the string arranger or not a string arranger kind of. I think this album they've just done is is so great because it's just them, mm, mm. and they've they've been in they've created everything like they haven't had a string arranger come in and do it like i think that's really like that a lovely journey to have gone through all the albums and the way that things have progressed to come to that point where they're back the three of them 
and they've got you know they've got people playing other people playing for them but it's all everything is created by them it's really nice thank you so much for listening to the Cleontel podcast next week it's the final episode and i'm going to be speaking to alistair again about songwriting the Cleontel podcast was produced and edited by me with help from Dave Collingwood and Johnny White. If you want to get in touch, my website is robinallender.com and you can find me on social media at Robin Allender. See you next week. Mm-hmm.